What number is this, Chip? Zilch 149. Charles Rosene of Peter Tork Memorial Convention for Monkeys fans and a look at the episode, Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers. <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. Zilch. Zilch. You're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast. Welcome back to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys. I'm your host, Tim Powers, part of the staff here at Zilch, but also host of my own show, uh, Deep Dish Radio with Tim Powers, available wherever fine podcasts are sold. And you can hear me Sunday mornings on Hall of Fame Music Radio at hofmradio.com and around the world on the TuneIn Radio app at Hall of Fame Music Radio. <clears throat> but enough about me. Later in the show, we'll have Bronwyn Knox Lawler who's going to join us and talk about the fourth televised episode of that TV show we all love, the episode Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers with Nick Trump, who's going to put your handprints in cement. Yeah. Uh, but before that, Charles Rosene uh, joins me to talk a little bit about the upcoming uh, Peter Tork Memorial Convention for Monkeys fans coming up the first week of February. Charles is an event promoter and a Monkeys fan of the First Order who has been around Monkeys fandom about as long as there's been Monkeys fandom. And he's put together a gathering of, uh, of fans. Um, and at this event, you'll be able to support some charities that are close to Peter, gather with some friends, and remember... Uh, who Peter was and, and what he gave us. It's a fantastic event, and it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Charles Rosene and me. Well, listen, Charles, you and I were talking before we started rolling, and we were telling some stories about how you got involved in uh, in fandom and in the in the convention scene. You know, you've been an, an event promoter forever. Um, tell me how uh, the Monkeys conventions that you started back, what, in the, in the 70s, right, kind of started? They started in the late 70s, yeah. Okay. How... But, I got, but I got involved in the early 80s. Um, I had been doing Beatle conventions okay. for a couple couple years and really, you know, very successful, fortunately. We were getting guests who no other, you know, Beatle convention get, were getting at the time because I was also doing trips to Liverpool and going back every summer and meeting people and bringing them over. But um, being a ridiculous Monkees fan like uh, you are and as most of our listeners are, yeah. um, I, I, I felt the Monkees deserved a, a higher level convention. And Maggie McManus was doing these amazing fan-oriented shows for a hundred people or so in New Jersey, <laughs> and um, I, I went to them. And it was it's the first time I ever set up as a dealer at someone else's event. And I think I brought, you know, a, 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 a trunk load of stuff and sold it all out in like in two hours. And it was like, oh my God, there are other fervent monkey fans besides me who actually come out to events 
besides just reading Maggie's Monkey Business fanzine, yeah. uh, which I did, and I also published Good Day Sunshine, which was a Beatles fanzine. So there's a lot of, Maggie and I had a lot of things going on uh, that, that, that made a lot of sense. She was doing Monkeys, I was doing Beatles, but I wanted to get involved with the Monkeys. And we, sure enough, we brought the Monkeys convention to Connecticut in 1982, and she was, uh, and I co-promoted it. And it was the first time in history we never would have believed it. You know, no Beatle would ever go to a Beatles convention, but Peter Tork came to the convention, and he jammed with Monkey Mania, which was the Beatle, which was the Monkeys band that I was in that <laughs> played that played the event. He uh, uh, talked on stage. He uh, signed in, in forever. He signed uh, autographs for everyone, and it was really special because we were promoting that he was coming, and up until he actually walked in the door yeah we didn't know we didn't know if he was coming the fans thought we were just saying it just to bring people through the door yeah but you know what the monkeys have always come to their conventions and that's (laughs) it's unheard of and it's amazing and it's and it's great for the fans but that was really the first of it bringing it to a new level of um i don't want to say professionalism but certainly a, a way to bring a lot more fans in a time i'm talking about early 80s when the monkeys still weren't getting all that much respect, and certainly no one would have believed they were ever going to get back together. Well, '82, man, it was a was a difficult time because the 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 second generation reruns were out of syndication, Correct. right? You couldn't find the records anywhere, right. um, and I, if I remember right, the late '70s and early '80s were kind of a rough time for Peter. How was he at the convention? Oh. Well, around I think it was around the same time. Don't forget that they were airing some commercials uh, with monkey songs in Japan. So some of the guys were, you know, getting popular for one-shot concerts or you know one-shot tours yeah. in Japan and Australia and a few places. So they were always you know, they always stayed in the game. You know, whether it was Davy doing a, a, a club in New York for you know eighty people or being in an off-Broadway show, whatever, they were still. Always out there, but you're absolutely right. It was the probably the lowest point of some of their careers because Mickey might have been producing and might have been acting. Uh, there wasn't a lot of demand for monkeys as the monkeys. Yeah. And um, we, we Peter was mostly in Connecticut his whole life, but he was living in the village. And if I can share a story, yeah, uh, we wrote him a check as a deposit to guarantee he would come. He didn't have a bank account. So he brought the check back, yeah. and he had, and we he endorsed it on the spot for the cash. So <laughs> that can tell us what kind of a that would explain what kind of scenario he was lifestyle yeah. was in at the time. Yeah, yeah, which I kept. So I'm glad he did that because <laughs> I have I have the signed check. It's a nice souvenir. Now, now that's a collectible, man. We, exactly. We, we've all got really rare stuff, but that's that's pretty cool—an endorsed check that you wrote yourself. Um, what? I want to sh- I want to share one memory from yeah, that event. Yeah, of course. Um, it was you're talking about only about a year and a half after John Lennon had passed, and we did I did the interview. I love doing interviews at my conventions. Sure. And we were talking about you know all silly stuff and you know this song you recorded. What was this like? The fans were asked questions, and I said, and yes, you know, were you affected by John Lennon's passing? And he got silent, and his eyes swelled up. And he went on, the interview was only supposed to be probably about five or ten more minutes, for a half hour, and no one has ever spoken so eloquently and beautifully, and I probably have it on a cassette somewhere, but the whole room was silent, 
and it was just the most amazing uh, talk about John and John Lennon's importance in the world. Wow. And from then on, uh, Peter and I, were, we, we bonded. We were friends, you know, forever. Maybe not just because of that, but certainly from my end, you know, he, uh, he uh, gained my utmost respect. That's amazing and, and sounds so, Peter. Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to hear that you rolled tape and it's probably sitting in a box somewhere in your garage. You know, it but it exists somewhere. Yeah, it sure does. You know, um, it wasn't as easy to uh, to commemorate and and memorialize and and uh, and archive those things back in the day. Right, we didn't all have cell phones. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> nobody had cell phones. But right, you know, everything to be captured now and back then. My God, if something was on TV, you know, let's get it on VHS. Let's record it. Maybe we'll have it forever, you know? Right. Or like <laughs> that cat that um, just a couple years ago ran a Super 8 film camera when John and Paul were on The Tonight Show with Joe Garagiola. Right. Like nothing exists, right? NBC wiped everything. And the only thing that exists is some Super 8 footage that's matched with some other fan's audio cassette of that event. And that's Amazing, it. right? That's all that's that exists. It. Yeah, crazy. So um, what you know? Tell me about um, you know before the '86 reunion. You know, we talked about how how the monkeys were kind of a they they did not enjoy the popularity um, that uh, or the or the even modicum of respect that they have now. So you know, what was the reaction? Not just to the to the fan base who came to this Connecticut show. By the way, how many people showed up? But but to the community at large, were you a curiosity to the media or anything like that? Funny. So you know, I, people had always knew me as the Beatle guy, and you right. know, Beatle, Beatle Beatle producer conventions, uh, Beatle magazine publisher does the tours. Why monkeys? And I would I would be the. I mean, I'd be the biggest spokesman at the time. I'd say, okay, I'd hold my hand up as high as I could. The Beatles are here. I drop down. The monkeys are here. And everyone else is down here. And, and I get to, I love everyone else. Sure. But, to, but to me, it was the Beatles and the monkeys growing up. And the, probably the biggest reason, I was a kid, don't forget, listening to AM radio, listening to hits, when, um, Sergeant Pepper came out. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the album, I, I didn't recognize. There were no hits. And, you know, around the same time, the monkeys were pouring out hit after hit. So I gravitated towards the next best pop band of music. <laughs> you know, who cared if they played their own instrument? Who cared if that was their voices? It was still, you know, still them singing the songs. Sure. You know, and um, so I, I was always uh, very, very strong about my love for the monkeys in a time where I would be ridiculed and they would say, wait, 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 isn't that bubblegum? Isn't that like the 1910 Fruit Gum Company? No, no, it's great music. And, you know, turns out we were validated because the greatest songwriters wrote the songs that the monkeys sang. Yep. So, so, you know, they stand up in time as great, great pop songs. And um, it's easy to say it now because anyone who's listening to the station agrees with us. Right. Anyone who's a monkey fan agrees with us. But in that time, before they reunited, before they were on MTV, and before you know they had a, you know the 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 uh, exposure that they regained, it was a tough sell. It was tough, you know, not being ridiculed for loving the monkeys in 1982 or 83 or 84, any of that time. Believe me, yeah. I know, man. It was hard. Coleman Record Stores. Uh, in suburban St. Louis, right? You know, when, when, uh, 
you know, people were, the, the new age was raging, uh, or the, the new wave was raging, right? And you, and you'd go in and you'd comb the bins looking for, uh, you know, old cold gems or bell reissues, right? Right. And it was impossible. It was impossible nothing, to find stuff. Nothing. But nothing. God bless Rhino, but nothing, yeah. <laughs> uh, bless Rhino and bless MTV, man. That happy accident, uh, for all so the things true. that happened in 86. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the monkeys were really made for MTV and it didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that they belonged on there, whether or not Nesmith invented it and had anything to do with it. It's a, it's a natural, right? I so agree. And I was, I was really fortunate in, in 86. Yeah. Um, my friend David Fishoff, mm-hmm. um, was, was their promoter and, and was bringing them out on tour. Right. And, uh, and I got, you know, inside word about them being their opening show at the Catskills at the Concord Hotel, which is where the, my family would go to the Catskills every summer or every holiday. So I, it's, got, it's, it's gone now. It's just a memory. But in yeah. those days, it wasn't a big deal to take a two-hour ride to the Catskills. And when I found out the monkeys were going to be there that weekend, I booked myself a hotel room with a friend for the whole week. So we got to go to the rehearsals. We got to play softball with them. Uh, it was just, you know, magical. I mean, in my, in my life, I never thought, and I did in the future, meet Paul or meet George or meet Ringo or meet guys on any other scenario. Yeah. But at that point, to have met them, forget meet them, sit and eat with them, you know, go to sound checks, uh, play softball with them. It was just, that was the thrill of my life. I thought, okay, everything I did up to now with the Beatles and all that, and all the producing, uh, I'm, I'm getting paid off in some mystical way by being able to <laughs> be with my other favorite group here. <laughs> 86 was such a magical year for the guys. And I, and you go back and you review the footage of those days and, you know, you and I were both there to, to watch it all happen. Um, yeah. And you were literally at ground zero. If you go back and look at the guys, you know, Mickey's kind of saucer-eyed about the whole thing, and he can't believe the whole thing is, is happening at all. You know, they're they're really incredulous about the, the, what me? What? You want me to be at the, the Disneyland special? What? Who? We have a we have a gold record. All our records are back on the Billboard 100? What are you? What, what is this, right? And they're just right. insane. So while you're at the rehearsals, right, the 86 rehearsals, What's the vibe? You know how how are the guys? How are they relating to each other, and how are they reacting to what's going on? So I think it, it's an extension of um, that Dolan Jones voice and heart, where they think you know, okay, maybe we'll get a little nice tour out of it, and you know, we'll get a little payday, yeah. and you know, and it, it's, it's you know, it'll it'll pass. Uh, I think the key, you know, we mentioned MTV and we mentioned whatever, you know, everything did align. You know, when the Beatles came out, every star in the in the sky aligned for them. There's no doubt about sure. it. Everything was perfect. The timing was perfect. But on a you know a little smaller level, everything aligned that year too. That was then. This is now. It was just an amazing song. Yeah. And it was such a great hit, and it so personified the comeback that you know that together with them hitting the road, and it wasn't. You know, don't forget. The promoters didn't have enough faith in just the monkeys, so it was a it was a happy together tour with also Gary Puckett with the with Rob Grill and the Zombies. I, I'm sorry, Rob Grill and the Grassroots, right? And also uh, the Peter Noonless Herman's Hermits, <laughs> right? You know, so there were 
So that was four <laughs> strong 60s acts, just in case the monkeys didn't draw up. So right. there, was a, there was a lot of question marks at the time. Well, and I mean, you probably went to as many shows on that tour as I did. And with, with all due respect to the, to the other very talented bands that were on that stage, yeah, yeah. our three heroes blew everybody else of course, clean off the even. stage. Absolutely. It was magical. It was just the three of them on stage. Uh, you know, and then it was everybody's, why isn't Mike, why isn't Mike ever with them, blah, blah, blah. That that didn't really matter. Nope. It was just so wonderful. And it, it just thinking about it now, and, you know, it brings me right back. And, and just such great smiles. And then, you know, the next year, 87. Yeah, you know, I was gonna, thought, just about we, to ask we, about that, the, the next well, convention. We, yeah, we did what we called the National Monkeys Convention. Yeah. And uh, it was with a guy named uh, Mike Boyce. There was like three or four promoters. Okay. But, what was let's think about it we had mickey we had peter we had davy and we had boyce and hart all at the same show right wow i mean you know i just in retrospect i still get chills thinking of how we pulled it off and and you know and the guys you know they all played on stage but it was really weird because mickey and peter came up together and Davey wouldn't go up with them. Uh, he came on a separate, you know, time to be interviewed with someone named Arlen Day at the time. Okay. And uh, so we always knew there was always these conflicts. And, you know, when you talk about happiness and you talk about the magic and the great stuff, you always ha- hate to pour a little, you know, salt in, on the wound. But, you know, there were always issues between whether it was one or the other or the other or this. There was always, there was never 100% harmonious with all of them. Well, you know, the guys are fond of saying, listen, do you get along with everybody you work with all the time? No, you right? don't. And, you know, or, or brothers, right? As close as the guys were. Your brother? All the time. Right. All the right. time, right? Right. We always right. did. Um, I, I think it's cool that, that Tommy and Bobby were both there. Um, yeah. and, and so did, did the five of them, the, or a group of them, you know, how, as far as performing goes, they all performed. The, did they? But, not, but they performed not together. together. Okay. Not together. So who performed Boys together? Performed. It was the Boyce and Hart reunion. So they performed together. Okay. Mickey, Mickey, and Peter performed with our house band, the Characters. Right. And Dave and Davey also performed with with Arlen Day, and it was it was and with the Characters, and it was just great. I mean, the fans. What could you? How, how could you ask for more than that yeah. at a convention? It was just so magical. So what was the difference between the attendance at the '82 show and the show five years later? <laughs> so the '82. All right. So let's. Uh, in New Jersey in the late seventies, the show would attract about a hundred people. Right. Moved it to moved it to Connecticut. I think we did like two hundred, three hundred people, and then we had one in eighty three um, where um, Bill Chadwick was the special guest. <laughs> okay. Um, cool. Bill was a uh, Bill was you know producer and wrote some of the songs. Great, great right. friend of theirs. Yep. And uh, probably four or five hundred people. Um, my group Monkey Mania played again. And it's really funny because at the time we talk about the mainstream. You know, not being middle, uh, b- big monkey fans, but to rehearse for the conventions, we were playing punk clubs. We were doing our, you know, our, our getting our uh, show tighter by playing some of these new wave clubs where the bands before us were doing, you know, Ramon covers or originals, and here we were coming in doing what am I doing, hanging around and doing right. uh, this just doesn't <laughs> my day, and the crowds were loving it up because the new wave people did, they got it, you know, yeah. they loved. 
Costello, and they loved Squeeze, and they loved the Jags or the Knack. They loved the Monkees, too. So that was cool. Um, and then you jump to 87, and you go from a few hundred people yeah, to a few thousand people. Right. So, you know, we're talking two, 3,000 people at that event. And then, uh, and then I guess there was one the following year, perhaps in Philly. I think there was one on the West Coast. I think our friend Michael Bush probably did one in Chicago. There were conventions everywhere. And you know what? The guys tried their hardest to, to come to the shows because they would usually coincide with a show in the area. So they were doing a concert. I think when we did our convention right. in New Jersey in 87, I think that was when Weird Al opened for them, and they did a show not far from there, either the night before or the night after. So the convention, there was a, a symmetry in that each one promoted the other. Okay. You know, And so that, they were very good about that. And then uh, I didn't do another show again as far as monkeys were concerned until 2013, where I did a show with uh, Phyllis and um, Jody, these gals, and the three of us put on uh, the Davy Jones Memorial Convention. Yeah. Which uh, Mickey and Peter were both at. Back in 13, right? In 2013. Yeah, you were the host of that. I was, yeah. I I did all the interviews, and that was an amazing, amazing weekend. So people talk about how tough David Cassidy can be. Yeah. And, you know, he was one of the people who came and, and was interviewed on stage. And, my God, when it came to, you know, talking about the monkeys and Davey, he was the biggest sweetheart. He was great. Well, to to bring it back to the the purpose for us talking, you know, you're doing a similar show for Peter in his oh, yeah, home that's state, why we're, that's right? That's why we're talking. I that's why we're talking, right? <laughs> so tell me, um, tell me about the similarities. Tell me about the differences between what you're doing now for Peter and what you did back in '13 with uh, with the Davy Jones Memorial Monkeys Convention. Well, so we this is this is good because we re- really led up to this really beautifully, and I'll tell you why. Um, I thought there should have been a tribute to, to Peter as there was to Davey. Sure. I thought it should have been in Connecticut because Connecticut was where Peter, he, he loved Connecticut. He lived here most of his life. Yeah. He returned here in his later years. Um, he, Connecticut, he played probably more shows in Connecticut than anywhere else in the world. And um, he was proud of it. He was really proud of Connecticut. And, and he also did other shows for me in Connecticut, including some Beatle conventions where he was the guest and came on TV with me. We did some interviews. So it had to be in Connecticut. I thought it made sense to have it in February because, A, it's a year since he passed. Yeah. But also because it's his birthday month, more importantly, and we're celebrating his life, his music. But, Tim, I didn't think that we wanted to do that big commercial, over-the-top three-day uh you know, mega event in the Meadowlands. I, I wanted it to. <laughs> I wanted it to be the way the shows were when Maggie and I did them, and that was the focus was on the music, the memorabilia, okay. and the love and the love of it. So yeah, we have a video room where we're going to show amazing rare stuff. We have great vendors who are going to sell you know the great stuff. We have bands who are playing, but Mickey's not going to be there. I'm admitting it. Mike's not going to be there. We. There's not going to be a ridiculous 500 guests. All the members of the Brady Bunch, you know, all the all the all the people who we had in 2013. That's what I'm going for. I'm going for the way it was when it was uh, grassroots, back home, uh, you know, the true fans coming together to celebrate for a real reason, and that was, you know, the yeah. the, the life the life and, and music of Peter, but also the love of the monkeys. So we can expect. 
maybe uh, we're certainly can can expect a dealer's room full of full of great merchandise. We can expect a uh, you know a video and audio room where you can enjoy some multimedia, some rare stuff that maybe people haven't seen, or just yeah. a, a refresher of what yeah. you know why we're there and and have the community um, you know together to to really commemorate what what Peter meant to us. What else what else can we expect if we show up? What else is what else is going to be there? Well, uh, so back in those days, a friend of mine, John Sheridan, who now works for Gretsch, um, was the monkey's look-alike guy. He had the sideburns. You know, he sounded like Nesmith. And he, <laughs> and, and he was at all the early conventions in Jersey and in Connecticut. Okay. And he hasn't done this in, you know, look, from probably the last time was 83. Okay. And I, and I got on the phone and I said, John, doing a convention like the old style, will you come and play? And he said he wouldn't miss it. So he's doing a set. After after him, we've got a group from Massachusetts called Loose Salute. Um, Mick Lawless yep. is a huge Monkey fan. And, and the band, uh, every time the Monkeys would uh, do, any of the solo guys would come to any of the mega fests where they did signings yeah. in Massachusetts, Loose Salute was their backup band. So Mickey played with them, Peter played with them, um, and they're going to be there. A group uh, called Zilch. <laughs> of yep. course, right? yep. is uh, from Rhode Island are uh, going to come and and they pretty much are our younger rockin' version of the Monkey songs, and then the Blue Meanies who have done no kidding, uh, really. So yeah, they played of course all the conventions and they did the Davy Jones tribute to BB King. Yeah. You know they're they are the go to uh, blue the Blue Meanies you know are the are the headline band. So musically, it's all those people playing. Uh, with with breaks in between for the special guests that we haven't announced yet, and then it's a benefit. It's a benefit for Peter Tork's preferred charity, which is the IMA. You know, when we go to his web- website now, and you know his family is very private, and you know right. they're very. But that's the charity that they chose for all um, you know fundraising to go to, and we call them. We said we'd like to make them the designated charity. And it's an institute for music in Massachusetts. And they said they would be honored. They're going to come. They're going to set up a table. And we're going to do a big presentation for them. So uh, it's a fundraiser. Aside from everything else, you right. know, we're going to raise some nice funds for them. And we're going to do a charity auction. And, and, I can, and I can reveal that this is the first place I'm announcing this. Okay. Peter Tork's piano, which is still in his home in Connecticut, which is owned by you know his family, sure. is, going to, is going to be put up for auction. So there, wow! Wants, wants an amazing piece of memorabilia, and uh, you know this is the first place it's going to be offered is, is at the convention. Um, Charles, this is obviously uh, a labor of love for you. You're certainly not you're certainly not getting rich doing this, and you are doing it purely out of out of love and respect for uh, for the memory of of Peter and everything that that you know everything he's been involved with and what it means to you. And that piano is is an amazing thing. Um, for those of us who may not be able to make it to Connecticut, will there be an online presence and an opportunity to bid as well? Uh, you know what? I, I didn't think of that, but we have to do that. Because, right, Why it's not fair to offer it to a few hundred people who might be local when someone in uh, on the West Coast or somewhere else in the world might want it. You're absolutely right. We will do that, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll offer it here, and we'll, we'll, we'll de- debut it there at the convention, but we will offer it uh, beyond that. It's funny because I've had a, um, a monkey's customized jukebox, which I, which I made myself uh, about a year ago, and I've had it online for a while. 
and got a few bids on it, but I really did. I, I got a lock number I want to sell it for, and I'm bringing it to the. I'm bringing it to the convention where I, I'm sure it's going to sell. What is it? You got like an old Woolitzer? I got a Rockola. No, really? With the <laughs> yeah, neon yeah, and everything? The whole, the whole front of it is all monkey facade, and I'm filling it with. It's filled with monkey <laughs> records and 40s. It's really special. That's cool. So I, it's just a pain to move, as is an upright piano. Yeah. But those are some other things that you're going to have at the convention, which you're not going to have anywhere else in the world. Nope. So, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. You know, we've been talking to members of Peter's family who are very, very private. And, you know, we want them to come to the show. And, you know, we're still trying very hard. But we understand. We, we're sensitive. Of and course. I, I told them, you know what? Thank you for supporting it. Thank you for not, you know, saying we don't want you to do it. Uh, the fact that if we're not doing that over-the-top hundred, you know, megastars thing, it's fine. If you guys can come, it's great. We'd be honored to have you. And if you don't come, thank you that that you're, you know, that you're on our side. So, having said all that, um, if you're at the convention, folks, and you you recognize a member of Peter's family who just happens to show up, be cool. Be respectful. This is a hard, yeah. you know, this is a hard time for everybody, and and you know, give them the grace and the courtesy, um, and the respect that they rightfully deserve. Charles, the date is February eighth for the Peter Tork Memorial Convention for Monkeys fans. It's in Connecticut. Uh, yeah. What what's the website where we can go and make reservations and get more information? Thank you. It's www.monkeysfanconvention.com. Uh huh. And uh, they can call us for information. I'm very available on the phone. It's 203-795-4737. If someone just wants to shoot the breeze about the monkeys, I'm never going to turn that down. But if anyone wants information on the convention, we'd be honored. You know, we want we want to bring fans from all over the world to join us. And I know the the, the true fans are all listening to this podcast. So I love the fact that we're getting it out to them. And once again, it's www.monkeysfanconvention.com. Fantastic. And there's there's prices and there's packages and there's uh, accommodation information and everything yeah. right there on that website. Yeah. So yeah, everything you need is right there on the site. It's www.monkeysfanconvention.com. My guest today has been Charles Rosnay, and he is the producer of the Peter Tork Memorial Convention for Monkeys fans coming up February 8th, 2020. You don't want to miss this, and you certainly don't want to miss being in the same room as Peter's Upright Piano. <laughs> Maybe we'll see you there. Zilch Nation, represent. Wear your zilchware and let everybody know about us. Thanks, Charles. And now, Bronwyn Knox Lawler is talking episode four of The Monkeys, your friendly neighborhood kidnappers. The Monkeys, brought to you by Kellogg's. Hi everyone, this is Bronwyn Knox, author of the Monkeys vs. Machine recaps. You can find all my recaps of the entire series at blissville.net or blissvillepodcast.wordpress.com. The Monkeys television show debuted over 50 years ago, and in honor of that 50th anniversary, I decided to write about each episode of this amazing show that still makes me laugh as much now as it did when I was a tot. 
Your Friendly Neighborhood Kidnappers, which aired on October 3, 1966, was directed by James Frawley and written by Dave Evans, his first of seven monkey scripts. This is the first episode where the plot revolves around the monkeys pursuing success and fame as a band. According to a couple of interviews I found online with Mickey Dolenz, the central premise of the show was a band struggling to be as successful as the Beatles, not to make a show about an American version of the Beatles. It was meant to appeal to young kids struggling in undiscovered bands of their own. That makes a lot of sense to me. Traditionally, sitcoms don't show us successful people who'd be impossible for most of us to relate to. The story opens with a band contest, and the group on stage is known as the Four Swine. Mickey describes the leather-wearing, cigarette-puffing swine as seedy characters. This is interesting, because in the second season, Wild Monkeys episode, the monkeys will put on similar outfits to impress some biker chicks. The seedy swine make fun of the monkeys on their way off stage, handing Mickey a banana. The equally seedy manager of the Four Swine arranges for the audience to hear a record of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony instead of the monkeys' music when the monkeys get on stage and try to play. After the opening titles, the swine manager shows up at the monkeys' pad, introducing himself as Nick Trump. Don't worry, I don't think he's any relation to Donald. He claims he's there to handle their publicity during the contest and pretends he barely knows the swine. They are surprised they made the finals, but Trump explains the judges dig Beethoven. None of the monkeys are taking this seriously. Mike is on a pogo stick, Davy is doing a headstand, and Mickey does his Groucho Marx impression. To get you publicity, you're a shoo-in. Leslie, <laughs> <laughs> no thanks. Don't you want to be famous, the idol of millions? No, we just want to be revered by a small minority. A small minority? Small minority, small minority. <laughs> like a tribe of African pygmies. Get it? Pygmies, huh? <laughs> Ridiculous. Hey, what are you doing? Mixing a drink? No, I'm just washing my socks. <laughs> Without publicity, no one will ever hear you. Well, you heard of us, didn't you? What? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And we don't need publicity. <laughs> they really do have some peculiar talents, to borrow Peter's term from the Prince and the Poppers. The boys want nothing to do with Trump's publicity until he says it's required in the contest rules. I don't get the monkey's aversion to publicity, since it could help them get more gigs. At this point in the episode, they don't know the type of publicity that Trump has in mind. Now, here's my plan. You go to the new discotheque, huh? The Vincent Van Gogh. As soon as you get in, go to table number three in the corner. Be careful that you don't bump into table number two. <laughs> exactly eight o'clock. I've arranged for a group of screaming teenage girls to come in and rip off all of Davy's clothes. Guitar wipe to the disco known as the Vincent Van Gogh, which appears in a few episodes and was a play on words that I appreciated when I watched these episodes in high school. Trump tells them via voiceover, they will have their clothes ripped off by crazy teenage girls for a publicity stunt. The monkeys sit there, excited and kind of scared, as you would be. Hey Mike, what time is it? Huh? Uh, oh, it's uh, three minutes to eight. May I take your order now? Oh, nothing for us, thanks. We just came in to have our clothes ripped off. <laughs> Control tower to X-17. Pepper countdown. Hello, control. This is X-17. I'm waiting your instructions. Ready? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.
girls come rushing in and tear the clothes off some random middle-aged dude in the back. Lester Crabtree, the guy who got his clothes ripped off, did get in the newspaper, so Trump was right about that. I love the shot of Mickey reading the story, and as he puts the paper down, the other three are all revealed behind him. Trump's next idea is to have the monkeys put their hands in cement in front of the Chinese theater. I notice in the background that the Marquis says, The Mackey, and the names are Nezenzi and Dork, Duransti and Juhans. I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but this is as close as I can get, sorry. This stunt ends badly because Trump uses quick-drying cement, and the boys have to take the block of sidewalk with them to get free. Trump pretends it's their fault, but offers them one more chance. His final plan is for them to be kidnapped, which will make all the papers. Mike is rightly skeptical of this, but the monkeys talk it over, saying rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb in the background, and they agree. Trump calls the kidnappers, one of whom is Mel from the sitcom Alice. Sorry, it's always a thrill for me to see a famous actor before they play their iconic part. The kidnappers are busy putting some poor victim's feet in cement, but they agree to take the job. Trump tells the monkeys to dress black tie for a daytime kidnapping. Peter takes a few different magical costume changes to get this right. No, Peter. No, Peter. Yes, Peter. And Davy ends up in a red smoking jacket that's different from the others who wear black tuxes. The kidnappers don't arrive when expected. Mike is skeptical of Mickey's suggestion that they call the late-arriving kidnappers, which leads into a hilarious pretend call with the kidnappers' answering service. You know, it's getting late, man. I wish David come home. Never mind Davey. Where's Trump's actors? They should be here by now, man. If there's one thing I can't stand, it's late kidnappers. Right. <laughs> Mike, why don't you call them? What do you call them? <laughs> I should just walk over to the telephone, get up, and not even dial. All I gotta do is say... Hello? Hello, I'm Chance Kinganera, kidnappers. Uh, hello, this is Mr. Nesmith. Say, are the kidnappers in? No, I'm sorry. The kidnappers are out right now. This is their answering service. Yeah, well, look, we're supposed to be kidnapped today. Oh, yes, Mr. Nesmith. The two o'clock kidnapping. I have it right here in the schedule. Well, I'm sorry. The kidnappers are very behind schedule. You see, this is our busy season, just before the holidays. Oh, well, then maybe we ought to wait until after the holidays. No, I'm afraid that won't do. You see, after the holidays, they're very busy with exchanges. <laughs> okay. We wait. <laughs> After going to the wrong house, the kidnappers knock politely and check the address with Mike. This is the first mention of the 1334 North Beechwood address, which was also the address used for the Monkey's original fan club. Oh, excuse me, hmm? is this 1334 Beechwood? Right. Thank you, young man. The kidnappers bust out guns and scare the crap out of Peter. They tie up the monkeys with Mr. Schneider replacing the missing Davy. Horace, played by Louis Quinn, tells George, played by Vic Tabak, that he has to pick up Davy at the disco. However, George is intimidated because he can't do those crazy dances. There's a brilliant screen caption when George practices dancing that reads, Cassius Clay, watch out, referring to boxer Muhammad Ali, known by his birth name Cassius Clay until 1965. George goes to the Vincent Van Gogh and finds Davy dancing with his date, played by Valerie Carries, who was in 14 Monkeys episodes, most appearances uncredited. George tries desperately to blend in with his dancing until Davy takes mercy on him and says they can leave. Davy's girl wants to go along for the kidnapping, and she ends up bringing everyone at the disco back to their house for a party. I wanted to mention, Davy has a bit of a personality change in this episode. 
He is fun, charming, and confident. In your friendly neighborhood kidnappers, he's genuinely cool and not the starry-eyed romantic dork he appeared to be in Royal Flush and Monkey See, Monkey Die. Back at the pad, the gun-wielding thugs have lost control of the situation because the kids, the staff, even the furniture from the Vincent Van Gogh are now in the monkey's pad. The overwhelmed kidnappers tie everyone up, but the kids keep dancing to Let's Dance On by Tommy Boyce and Bobby Hart, and not credit at the end of the episode. And they dance to I'm Not Your Stepping Stone, also by Boyce Hart. Getting tied up doesn't bother the kids at all. They make it into a new dance craze. Horace calls Trump to tell him he's going to have to cough up more money to kidnap the entire crowd, but Trump refuses. Davy helpfully empties the room for them by playing a polka on the jukebox, causing the kids to stampede right back out of the house. Trump reveals his sinister plot. This is no publicity stunt. The kidnappers are real and there to keep the monkeys from participating in the contest so the four swine can win. You know, I think everyone except the monkey saw this coming. This marks the second episode where we have the bad guys holding the boys captive until a certain time has passed, the first being Royal Flush. The kidnappers lock the monkeys in the bedroom while they pass the time playing cards with a stuffed chimp. The monkeys try to figure out how to escape in time to make the contest. Mickey has more ideas in five minutes than I have all day. His first plan is to toss a hypnotized Peter out the window. I would love to have Mickey's hypnotist talents for putting my daughter to bed. Once this idea is dismissed, Mickey makes a rope for them to crawl down until Mike points out they're on the first floor. Okay, hold it. In that case, why don't they just all go out the window? Mike, who really is the group skeptic, tries to warn Mickey against his idea of punching the kidnappers. He's proven right when Mickey's fist hits George's hard face. Throughout this, Peter keeps the audience aware that the monkeys need to hurry by announcing the time, which the screen captions helpfully display in central time. Mickey finally manages to con their way out, pretending he has a vial of nitroglycerin and threatening the kidnappers to blow them all up with it until they back into the bedroom. What's going on in here? Stand back, both of you. This is nitroglycerin. One false move, and I'll blow us out of the kingdom come. I'm going to count to ten. One, two, three, four, five. I think they're bluffing. Six. What do we eight? Mickey confesses to the other three that he has no idea what's really in the vial and tosses it off the set where it explodes in a surprisingly good effect. The freed monkeys head for the contest in their matching monkey shirts. But wait. The gangsters get out of the supposedly locked room right away and begin a romp chase scene to last train to Clarksville. This is the third time in as many episodes they played this song. The chase includes scenes in a city park, a desert, a western scene, and stock footage of covered wagons. It ends with the monkeys clobbering the kidnappers with mallets and nets and playing their song in the contest. Before Swine and Trump go to jail in matching jail-striped outfits, the monkeys get special consideration for their trouble, but the winners are, you guessed it, Lester Crabtree and the Three Crabs. Having found evidence of foul play in this contest, the judges report the offenders have been apprehended. <laughs> the victimized parties have been given special consideration. We wish to extend our congratulations to the monkeys for overcoming many obstacles to remain in the contest. And now, the name of the winners of the contest, none other than Lester Crabtree and the Three Crabs! <laughs> Screaming girls run on stage to rip Lester's clothes off again. 
Success eludes the monkeys who conclude that all it takes to get famous is having your clothes ripped off. Boy, Lester's doing all right. Yeah, but I never even heard him sing. He doesn't have to sing. He never gets a chance. Gee, it seems all it takes in this world to be a big star is to have your clothes ripped off. That's all it takes. They immediately tear off each other's shirts in one of the many cynical comments about show business that the monkeys made over the course of the series, and in this case, the most unintentionally homoerotic moment ever. Tag sequences an interview because the show is once again a minute short. Producer Bob Rafelson interviews them about their success since being on the show, which goes along well with the storyline. Mike reveals that he was a troublemaker when he was a kid, and certain people from his past were surprised to see him doing well. He also says it's nice to have a little extra money to spend since getting the role on the show. Another one of my favorite episodes with a satisfying setup and payoff at the end. I love the fact that the plot is about their struggles as a band, and I like the focus on them as an ensemble cast, as in Monkey See, Monkey Die. They're at their best when they're working together. There is also the remarkable humor commenting on the fact that it is a television show. The producers, writers, editors are not expecting you to get lost in the reality of the story. Instead, there's lots of breaking the fourth wall, the screen captions, etc., they know that we know we're watching a show, and they let us in on the joke. And now I want to give special consideration to Mickey Dolans, who is the brightest star of this episode, in my opinion. I'm gonna be a star! <laughs> With his sharp line delivery, funny voices, and expressive face, he can always be counted on for an out loud laugh at least once in every episode. If you'd like to read this or the rest of my recaps, you can find them at blissvillepodcast.wordpress.com or blissville.net. And now... Back to Zilch. Thank you, monkeys! And in a moment, the results of the contest. What he means to say is, we'll be right back after the commercial. Hi, everyone. Christine Wolf here. You might know me as a podcast host or announcer, or by my formal title, Christine the Button Queen. Secret identity. I'm an independent insurance agent. That's right. It's nonstop excitement in my world, and protecting people's most important business and personal assets is a big part of it. With clients from coast to coast, it doesn't matter whether you're in Clarksville, Rockford, Gotham City, or a galaxy far, far away. I can help you. Give me a call for your free quote. If you're a business owner or decision maker, let's talk about an insurance portfolio custom fit for your needs. And on the personal side, whether you own your home or rent, have a driving record that's squeaky clean or not quite the best, I've got you covered. Oh, and about those monkeys collectibles you have? Yep, I can make sure those are protected too. I've put together a team with decades of experience of risk management and analysis and my relationships with dozens of insurance companies means that I can put together an insurance program tailor-made for you. So give me a call today at 314-657-2995. That's 314-657-2995. Or email me at christinewolf at cjthomas.com. Or you can even PM me on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you and get the chance to run some free quotes for you and earn your business. Hello, this is Peter Mills. I'm the author of the book, The Monkeys, Head and the Sixties. 
which is the first in-depth study of their 1968 movie. It looks at the history of the band right from their beginnings in 1965, right through their success, the movie, the 70s comebacks. The book also looks at the 33 and a third TV special, the Monkeys MTV revival, a lizard sunning itself on a rock, all the way through to 2016's Good Times. The book is available from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and no doubt other online stores, and is also available as a Kindle download. Check out The Monkeys, Head and the 60s. And there you go. Uh, one more Zilch episode in the can, 149. Next episode, 150. Funny how that works. Uh, I'd like to thank Charles and thank Bronwyn for being a part of this episode. I'd like to thank Ken Mills for uh, allowing me to warm up his chair in anticipation for the next episode. I'd like to thank the Mamas and Papas for making it groovy. And I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Uh, always take time to monkey around. This episode was so good, there are no outtakes. See you next time. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.